Princess Sivan took her exercise book off the piano, turning to a brand new page. Anna 1986, she wrote across the top in pencil, in a large authoritative cursive. Next year we do huge repertoire. Beethoven? I asked. Of course, but first Cherny. Cherny basically created the bridge from classic into romantic. If we talk Chopin as Bible of the piano, Cherny is all foundation of its existence. We talk about school. Cherny, incredibly great student of Beethoven. Of course, Beethoven not greatest teacher because of his temperament and only able to give to certain people, but greatest musician. And Cherny, definitely great teacher and taught Liszt and then Lachetitsky and then all the others and finally you. I smiled bashfully as history swung its vast spotlight on me. How did you get your professor to teach you? I asked. She appraised me for a moment. Always I have good logic, like you. I said to her, I do not expect you to take me. I only want to play for you first. Better reject after, not before. And she accepted you. She turned my hand upside down, examining it like a book. I could read her hands and translate to other students. This, by the way, is how I learned I had teaching gift. Above Mrs Sivan's piano was a photograph of her as an 18-year-old at an international competition. She had the alabaster skin of a film star and surveyed the room with ferocious, queenly eyes. The stage must be like another room in your house, she often reminded me, and as I sat my piano exams in her living room each year, I began to understand this. I skipped the exams she deemed unnecessary. We do exams by the way only, and hopscotched between A and A+, until at age 13 I found myself in 8th grade, with only one exam remaining before the celestial realm of the associate diploma. 8th grade was a serious exam, demanding proficiency in every scale and an official venue, the Flinders Street School of Music. It was cold and dark in there on a Saturday afternoon. I had a head cold and had to keep stopping to blow my nose as my father sat beside me in a practice room, testing my scales. A-flat melodic minor in sixths staccato. Usually I could see the whole scale before I started, its particular topography, its imprint on the keyboard. But in these intimidating surroundings, my mental map vanished, and I launched into the scale at ground level, faltering around F and G. I tried again and came unstuck on the way down. My father tugged anxiously at his Adam's apple. The examiner was a heavy man in half-moon glasses, planted solidly behind a vinyl table, as unbudgeable as the Bersendorfer Grand which stood before me. I knew he was an organist, which seemed a good sign, as I had frequently been complimented on my bark. As soon as I began the bark prelude and fugue, my nose began to run. I scanned the bars ahead for handkerchief opportunities, but the only chance was before the fugue. Thank you, the examiner said tersely when I had finished. I blew my nose and then stared at the keyboard, aware that I had to salvage things with the Mozart. Mozart's life season is always spring. What is spring in our life? Hope, blossom, expectation, the first face of the leaves of life, and Mozart full of it. It was difficult to imagine spring in the cold winter of this building, but I invested my sounds with as much joy as I could summon, and they amplified it and returned it to me, and at the end of the movement my cold seemed to have vanished. I performed the Schubert and Copeland, exhilarated by the redemptive powers of music, while the examiner stared over his glasses. Afterwards he asked for very few scales and nodded abruptly to say the exam was finished. The following Wednesday I returned home from choir practice to find an unopened envelope waiting for me on the kitchen bench. 
My father emerged from his bedroom where he'd been packing for a poetry conference in Malaysia. Letter for you. An A-plus would be ideal, but I had resolved not to be disappointed by an A. Still, my heart was pounding as I eased the envelope open and slid out the semi-transparent paper of my report. I didn't hear myself scream, but my parents came bursting into the room like superheroes. Sitting in the box in the lower left-hand corner was the result, written in a giant, toad-like sprawl. C. Now, darling, it's just one man's opinion, my mother said, putting her arm around my shoulder. I brushed her away. Didn't she know anything? A C grade was still, nominally, a pass, but in order to sit my associate diploma, I had to receive a B, at least, a depth to which I had never imagined thinking. This C was a ban on going any further, a sentence imposed by an institution as formidable as any law court in the country, the Australian Musical Examinations Board. I had known disappointment at the Estedfords, but it had never been scandalous disappointment. It was no great disgrace to be one of 30 contestants who did not receive a prize. But here, I had been singled out by failure, branded personally with a C, and forever. I started to sob. But even through my shock, I recognised something inevitable about this sea, something deserved. It clanged like a gong, backwards and forwards in time, picking up resonances from the past. Anna will not be concert pianist, not. And providing a pedal note, a giant fundamental for all the failures that might follow. This is impossible, Mrs. Sivan said when I showed her the report at my next lesson. When you called me, I was stunned. But I tell you, my darling, is best lesson really. You can never depend on results. She took the report from my hands and scanned through it. Altogether, it's not malicious man, not at all. Just organist and does not understand the piano. What is this? Disappointingly facile. He thought my Mozart sounded too easy, too glib. Exactly, she declared triumphantly. This says everything, does not understand Mozart at all, wants you to play like an organ. She launched into the opening of the Mozart Sonata, satirising the heavy-handed approach of an organist. Then she segued into her own irresistible reading, shining with life, and my failure danced away, momentarily exorcised through song. This is Mozart, she laughed. Mozart, absolutely human being, and in love, first of all, with a human, with people around him. And of course, his favourite is young soprano, leggero soprano. Why? Because it is reminding him of little blossom, beginning to flower, beginning to bloom. Of course, your father, very angry at result and want to write letter. But I told him, why make unnecessary enemy? Better we do exam again next year. We'll be peanuts for you, my darling. Altogether, we do huge explosion of repertoire. And at my students' concert next week, you will play beautifully and show them faces of Mozart. A week later, at the rehearsal for the concert at Elder Hall, I climbed reluctantly onto the stage. Back on the horse, I told myself. Giddy up. There was only a scattering of students present, and the empty plush red seat stared back at me like a silent jury. Every sound I pitched into the cavernous space carried an extra freight of self-doubt and bounced on the empty seats and vanished into the carpet. Altogether, not so bad, Mrs Sivan said when I finished. More hearing, of course, less playing. For example, it was impossible to sit here at end of phrase. Remember always punctuation. 
She demonstrated by playing on her lap, her hands dimpling like a baby's, her eyes shining with the return of music. Mozart has so many ranges of smiling. Despite all tragedy of his life, Mozart is incredibly optimistic. Why? Because his life itself is love. Most important that you enjoy being on stage, that you love sharing your music. I realised she was being gentle on me and felt a renewed shame and started to cry. She stood to address the auditorium. Anna has had greatest lesson. I told greatest. Always your music coming inside and growing. Much more important than instant results. She flung her arms around me and kissed my hair. How I love this girl! Her students applauded, merciless in their pity. I excused myself and ran outside to wait for my mother on North Terrace. Someone came running after me and I turned to see Kate Stevens, Mrs Sivan's newest student. She had just finished her final school exams and seemed to have shed her schoolgirlness overnight, becoming larger and more radiant. How are you? she asked. Fine. She walked beside me for a moment in silence. I heard about the exam. I don't know what to say except that it's ridiculous. Don't worry about it. I don't care anyway. That's wise. Like Mrs Sivan says, you can never depend on results. I wondered if I might be able to believe this after all. How did your school exams go? She grinned broadly. Well, they're over. Now I'm free to practice as much as I want. How much practice do you do, anyway? She dropped her voice. While I was at school, I could only manage four hours. Having all day at the piano now is bliss. Your Mozart was beautiful, by the way. Break a leg tomorrow night. She ran back to the rehearsal, her long hair streaming behind her like a flame. I watched her disappear into the giant mausoleum of Elder Hall and twisted a sideburn of hair between my fingers, willing it to grow faster. It shocked me that Kate did so much practice. Wasn't she worried about becoming mechanical? But Kate's playing was far from mechanical. Of course Mrs Sivan had suggested two hours practice a day when I started learning from her but I had come to believe that amount of time was something aspirational, a lifelong maximum. Increasingly, I spent my practice sessions reading about music. Earlier that week, I had come across a passage on practice by the pianist Louis Kentner. Pianists can be divided into the following three categories. Those who practice a lot and admit it. Those who practice a lot but deny it. And those who do not practice and therefore are not pianists. I dismissed this as misguided, with the greater authority of Leszczycki behind me and his assertion that two or three hours was all anyone should require, I knew better. But what if Kentner was right? Mrs Sivan never insisted I practice more. Instead, she guided me patiently through the same lessons each week, entreating me to try to listen. And over the five years I had been with her, my playing had certainly improved. I had assumed that it would now develop into something like Kate's of its own accord, that my technique would sprout octaves, as inevitable as puberty. If you wanted something enough, you would get it. Wasn't that how it worked? Anyway, hadn't I already sacrificed enough for my dream? But when we returned home, I ignored the summons of the bookshelves and my mother's offer of a cup of tea and went straight to the piano to practice for an hour and a half before dinner. I worked carefully through the Mozart, willing myself to remember what Mrs Sivan had said about sitting, about punctuation. At dinner, I polished off my dessert. Could I please leave the table? You're working hard, my mother remarked. 
Over the course of that week, my feelings of failure were replaced by a sense of martyrdom and then by a fierce resolve. I decided there was no way I would let them stop me, whoever they might be. Backstage at Elder Hall on Friday night, as I listened to the hum of the audience, I prepared to show them the face of Mozart. When I stepped out onto the stage, I saw my parents and my brother and sister and both sets of my grandparents occupying almost an entire row, their faces bursting with encouragement. Under the fierce floodlight of their support, I could see my own heroism and felt moved by it. But as I started to play, what I felt was not righteousness, but an inexplicable joy. I felt so many ranges of smiling, that this was a concert and not an exam, that Christmas was coming and I would have the holidays to practice, that my irritating but supportive family was here for me in the audience, and that I was up on this stage playing Mozart, who turned everything he touched into song. I allowed this joy into my sounds, which no longer crashed to the ground, self-defeated, but reached out into the audience in thanksgiving, saying things otherwise unavailable to my adolescent self. It was no definitive Mozart, but nor was it the Mozart of an organist. And if Elder Hall was not yet a room in my house, nor was it a mausoleum. It felt instead like a gigantic ark in which all the important species were accounted for. Perhaps we could stay here forever, afloat on these sounds. <laughs> 